goes inside. Karim Betet. Off the here to Simon, who's quick. Pete Simon looking for Karim Betet. Back to Simon. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. Match reviews, player interviews, and quality rugby chat that is consistent and positive, we do it all for you, our dear listeners. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch, and tonight we are doing the third of our Super Round recaps. Unfortunately, it's not an instant reaction pod because, Mitch, we needed to rush to the airport to get a flight. Yeah, we did. We had to uh, leg it out of the stadium pretty quick. I, don't, I didn't even get the end of the game. I'm not sure if you got there to full time. No, I, um, I left before. To go. Yeah, I left way before like things turned remarkably south for uh, the Western Force and the Reds just sort of ran away with it. So I was sort of slow, slightly checking my phone every now and then as I was on the tram into the city and got to the airport, had a look, 71. I was like, what? What even happened? I think I left and it was like 13 to 23 or 13 to 29 or something like crazy. Yeah, I was super confused. And so, I mean, I'd actually picked a, um, I mean, we'll get into it, but I'd actually picked a false win within that game so just because of the Reds' performance in round one. And so when, when we found out the score, I was so confused and shocked because I just wasn't expecting a 51-point drubbing of the force team that who would look who would look decent within the first week but hey we're getting ahead of ourselves so this is going to be the third podcast of the super round where we're going to cover the two games that were played on sunday night or sunday afternoon and evening which were the blues versus the brumbies then the western force versus the um, queens on reds but before we do that i want to quickly go through and congratulate nicholas g daniel b and sias m who are currently sitting atop our tipping competition with over 200 people within it. We have these three legends sitting on 12 points, 11 and 11 points each. So you're all pretty far ahead of us, although you and I did well up until that final uh, game against the Force, didn't we? Uh, I had picked the Blues, so the last two games I got wrong. Uh, so I was going all right, but... Yeah, right. Yeah, I think yeah, we both did enough. actually. Or did you, you picked the Brumbies, so no, you were... I picked the Brumbies. I picked the Brumbies. Yeah, yep. that's got you a little. So I was pretty happy with that. <laughs> All right. Well, final couple of things. Um, firstly. Join us on Discord. So one of the best things that we have is this incredible community of rugby fans who love chatting rugby. And during the matches, uh, we have just live chat going on throughout the game, which is really fun and entertaining. Everybody jumping in and giving their own thoughts and opinions and, and perspectives on what's happening during the match. So I really encourage you to get involved and join us there. Go to any of our social platforms and look in our bio and you'll be able to find the link to join Discord there. And then lastly, for those of you who want to be supporting the pod, please consider going to ko-fi.com slash pickanddriverugby. We have a number of people who have chosen to support the podcast with $5 monthly donations, and it's purely optional, of course. And what that just enables us to do is to purchase better microphones, to purchase kind of camera gimbals and stuff like that that we're trying to use for some of the videos that we're doing down at grounds and the like. So we really, really appreciate all the support. Everything that is received goes back into purchasing gear and equipment and the like for the podcast so we really really appreciate it if anybody could spare that would be absolutely wonderful mitch we get to talk about some rugby now should we jump straight on into our super round recap we should let's do it so um let's start off 
I attended Super Round last year. This is your first year in attendance in person. Uh, so I want to kind of quiz you a little bit and get your thoughts mm-hmm. on uh, the the atmosphere, the, the overall success of the weekend, and maybe we can sort of br- briefly touch on some sort of thoughts of what could happen going forward. So um, as a first time going down to Melbourne to watch rugby, what were your initial thoughts? Uh, I would, it was a bit mixed. I really enjoyed the weekend because it was a, a three-day weekend for me. I got to get the Friday off work and head down and just spend the whole time during the day catching up with friends who live down in Melbourne and then during the nights watching rugby and talking rugby, which is stuff that I love. So the weekend itself was great. Uh, the quality of the matches themselves were absolutely brilliant. Um, there were some blowout games that resulted in a lot of pretty entertaining tries from one end of the field to the other. But then there were some really close grinds where you weren't really sure which team was going to come out on top, which kept some of the drama in. So you had a good spectacle of games uh, throughout the weekend. I just, I just am not sure about the level to which the Melbourne audience mm. has bought into Super Round. And as a result, the crowd numbers, despite being an improvement from 2022, yep. they really weren't incredible. They weren't amazing. And there's still a lot of work to do to make Super Round the best that it could possibly be. So whilst I think from what I hear, it was an improvement, as a spectacle, a whole event spectacle, I think there's still some work to do. If we, uh, it's kind of hard to answer this question because we were really busy. We, between games, running press conferences, trying to get audio recorded and sent out and up on socials and things. So we didn't have a whole lot of downtime between matches. We were pretty much going the whole time. But from what you saw, did you think that the uh, entertainment that was put on by the organizers of the event were enough to keep people entertained between matches? Well, not really. Um, I'd be arguing that, I mean, I'd never heard of a bunch of the, um, entertainers that were there. Um, perhaps I'm just not listening to the right music, but (laughs) I I didn't know most of the performers. Um, and so there was this level to which I was just a bit disconnected from it that way, where I was like, I don't know who they are, so I don't really care. Um, there were a couple of like the different games that they did for kind of Fiji airways to try and give people prizes in between, oh, at halftime in between games, which I thought, for the first time I saw it, I thought it was great. And then when it was the exact same activity for the second and third day, I was like, oh, you <laughs> could have varied it up a little bit and made yeah. it a little bit different each time. Um, so I think, and also the fan zone that was there was not really a fan zone. It was like a marquee with a super rugby trophy. Pretty much an outdoor smoking um, area. Kind of like, yeah, it was an outdoor smoking area, basically. And it had like one shuff, um, cornhole board area. And that was it. That was like the fan zone with a few beanbags thrown around under some umbrellas. And I was like, oh, you could, I've literally planned better events at like school functions <laughs> than this, just in terms of like having more activities and things like that for kids and yeah. people to participate in. Well, I guess comparing so I just from thought, man, the atmosphere of yeah. the weekend from what it, what Super Round was last year to this year, chalk and cheese, uh, there was at least some presence of merchandise available this year. Uh, I'll grant that it wasn't like the full Super Rugby Pacific um, availability. Like there was no Waratahs merch available, which from New South Wales fans is a little bit disappointing, but we could pick up Rebels gear, you could pick up Drua gear, you could pick up Moana Pacifica gear. Like there was an opportunity to buy stuff if you wanted to, which that wasn't available last year. They did have entertainment between games, 
say what you will about the entertainment. And I think that's a difficult thing for any organizer to find something that's going to match oh, yeah. and meet yeah. every sort of interest. And I think they did enough to, mm-hmm. to do that. Um, in the way that the games were structured, I think this year was a lot better. Last year, it felt like, there, I think it, sometimes there was like 90 minutes between games and that was way too much. Whereas this year, it was at most 45 minutes. And so that was enough time for you to get out of your seat, go to the toilet, get something to eat, grab another few beers and you're back in your seat, watch some guys run around like an idiot trying to catch balls and then you're into the next game. It's like it didn't feel like there was a lot of waiting around with nothing to do. Um, whereas last year, mm. that was definitely something that a lot of people spoke about. So uh, in terms of the overall success of the weekend, I think it was an improvement from last year. But as you said, Ando, there's a lot to improve moving forward. If we shift across to, um, I guess, the future viability of this competition or this specific round. So uh, Super Round has when it was first created and it's run by an organization called TEG Entertainment. They, um, I don't know if they've got the rights to sort of continue doing this, but it, but it was it was signed off and hosted at Melbourne for two years. So at this point, mm. we're not, it's not in the calendar confirmed yet for 2024. Um, if it were to be, what sort of changes would you like to see? Yeah, look, um, Let's let's just make the point. I'm not convinced that it should stay in Melbourne. Um, yeah. I think it. I think it could grow if it stays in Melbourne, and there are some positives to it. But it, it doesn't have to. I think actually one of the key things that could improve it is actually moving it later within the Super Rugby season, because part of the challenge is that by having it so early within the season, you've got some teams that are still playing themselves into form that are still trying to bring players back from injuries from the end of last season or from preseason. And so you've got a lot of teams that are a little bit underdone in terms of their conditioning and the players that are available to them. Player availability may not change later in the season, but it was just, it's relevant to the here and now of what we saw on the weekend. And so I actually think that maybe moving it later in the season would allow more storylines to develop in terms of ladder positioning, narratives and rivalries between different teams to develop in relation to the ladder positioning. And there's just a lot more that I think could be done from a marketing point of view with those storylines if it was later on. The challenge that comes there if you host that in Melbourne is that the um, NRL started over mm-hmm. the weekend and yep. Amy Park is used with by the NRL. Um, you'll also have AFL kicking off again in not too long, although I don't think Amy Park's used for AFL, but it just it's means not. you're competing yep. um, for eyes with um, AFL down in Melbourne yep. and for media space as well because nobody's going to care if the AFL's on. And so I just think that maybe moving it to a different city at a later time of the year could do well. Um, if they're going to keep it in Melbourne, then it probably needs to stay in second round so it's not competing against AFL. I think uh, I'm sort of on a different wavelength, I guess, in terms of when you host it. I think if we are to do Super Round again in future, it needs to be early in the season. Maybe round three, two or three, I think, is the the sweet spot. And purely that's because by that point in the season, no team, there's no, like, as you said, there's no set narratives for the teams in the competition yet. We've seen some teams put in a great performance week one and struggle a bit in week two. We've seen some upsets this weekend, which was really exciting for Australian rugby fans. Great performances by the Aussie teams, maybe not so much by the Kiwi teams. So I think from that perspective alone, 
that's a lot more exciting for fans to come and want to watch because they don't really know what they're going to expect. Whereas if it's round 10 or 11, the season's nearly wrapped up, you know that by that point, the Chiefs are that far ahead on the table that coming up against Moana Pacifica, they're going to smash them by 50. There's nothing Moana can do. I, I think that those narratives um, are, are raw and fresher when we don't have that set. And that's more exciting for fans to come and, and, and attend. I still think anywhere across Australia or New Zealand, I don't think there's any city that could host Super Round that's not going to be impacted by other sports, soccer, um, AFL, NRL, anywhere. Even if we played it in New Zealand, um, we're going to be impacted by other sports being on. So I think we still need to have it on early in the season to capitalize on that. In terms of the marketing of the competition and of the weekend, I need to take my hat off on to the Melbourne Rebels. I think they did a really good job of promoting Super Round this year. Yep. And that was why the crowd was so good on that first night when the Rebels were playing. There's a lot of stuff being spoken about on social media around that being the best crowd for the Rebels for a number of years and how vocal they were and how into it they were and how well the Rebels played. And that's purely down to the Rebels promoting and pushing this round. Um, There was little to no promotion outside of that for Super Rugby. And I think that's why days two and three, when the Rebels weren't playing and the home fans didn't have someone to cheer for, they didn't show up. Mm. I think, um, yeah, it's it's really interesting considering the role of the Rebels because I'm, I've am i actually been really impressed with some of the opportunities we've got to hear more from the Rebels, from their um, organisational leadership, like Baden Stevens, the CEO, and Nick Stiles, the um, Director of Rugby. We've had an opportunity to be in conversations with them and they've they clearly have a direction that they're wanting to take the organization in and they're quite unified in that approach and trying to engage within the community and particularly build strong lasting pathways within Victorian rugby, rugby, as well as connecting with the Pacifica communities throughout Victoria as well, particularly Melbourne. And I think that they're doing an admirable job of that. And I mean, that's not just because I got some free kit from the Rebels, thanks, Sam, um, that I'm wearing on the stream right now. Um, It's actually because I think that organisationally they're doing a good job and they're being quite proactive in their kind of marketing, in their communications, and in the opportunities that they're providing journalists and people like us to hear their story and to know what's going on within their team, which is not something that other clubs are as uh, transparent about from our perspective. Yeah. Now, I am conscious of the time and we wanted this to be a short podcast, so let's wrap this up. I guess the final questions I have for you, Ando, is moving forward, do you think Super Mm. Rugby or Super, Super Round, let's... First of all, let's change the name. It's a little bit silly. Yeah, Super so Rugby Super so Round. And who came up with the hashtag Super Rugby Super Round? That's just ridiculous. First of all, I just didn't even use it because I couldn't be bothered to type that many words out. Uh, but if we are to do this moving forward, do you, or do you think it has legs? Do you think it's worth worrying about having this round? Is it good enough to, um, you know, logistically, when you think about it, teams have to give up a home game for, to have this where it works in the draw in terms of a team giving away a home game. Do Aussies want to have their derbies played at Super Round? Probably not because they'll get fans at home. Do you think that we should continue doing this? 
I like the idea if it's marketed and promoted well and made to be a spectacle of the rugby calendar. I think things last year were run really poorly from the event organisers um, and that's kind of no secret within rugby circles of people who are kind of involved within some of the promotion. Last year was um, a shambles. This year was much improved yeah. and we saw a better experience. And so if they can keep building upon the quality of the entertainment offering, beyond the rugby that's just played on the field, then yes, I think it should continue. But unless TEG as the event organisers are willing to continue to put in more time and effort into the marketing and the promotion of the match day experience for the fans, then I'm not sure it should continue. So it really depends on how much the event organisers are willing to run with it um, as to whether or not it should go ahead. I think we, if we are going to run it again in future, uh, we need to condense it down to two days. I think three days is too much. Uh, if it, it's going to be too difficult to fit it in, you just need to look at ticketing options to then break it down and, and have like tickets for specific games or whatever, if that's what you want to do. But Friday, Saturday and Sunday is too much. If we have it over two days, you could start the first game at, at 11 o'clock in the morning then the second game kicks off at two or three, and then the third game kicks off at eight o'clock. It's a long day, I grant that, but it's it's enough, and I think it'll get through the 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 weekend much faster than having it across the three days. And I think it's easier then to get fans to come in and commit to two days and potentially see three games of rugby when you ever going to do that, other than a sevens tournament. <laughs> um, but committing to three days is a big ask, and it's it's hard to get crowds across those three days. Yep. Well, personally, I think it should say three days, but each to their own, my friend, each to their own. And why don't we move? Well, it, it stops, games? it stops people like us being able to travel. We had to take leave to get down there on the Friday to attend the games. True. True. Anyway, let's move on. We've got to talk about the games. All right. So let's, uh, let's shift into our reactions now from the weekend. Uh, let's do, should we do game of the round first and then our reactions from the last yeah, two games that we haven't done? Okay. Well, Endo, what is... I guess game of the round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go, sorry. I was going to say, Ando, what's your game of the round? And I think it ties in nicely to the last two games anyway. <laughs> Mate, I'm finding this hard because now I'm used to the last two days actually being with you and just being able to talk quite naturally and not yeah. have it kind of interrupt and run over and have that delay. And so now we're back on we're back on um, StreamYard and <laughs> struggling a bit. But my game of the round was the epic encounter between the Blues versus the Brumbies, 20 to 25 at the end of the first half, then a scoreless second half where the players just went at it and did not give up from either side. Some um, amazing breaks, heroic defense from both teams. Excellent game, my game of the round. Fantastic. Uh, I'd, I'll go with the game of the weekend, just to, to spice things up and be just a little bit different, Waratahs and Drua. And that's purely from the physicality <laughs> that both teams brought. And just like we were sitting in the press box, which was great seats and, and ha not that far away. But man, some of those hits, I could feel them. We could hear the crack in the stands. So there was a lot of physicality and a lot of big hits uh, from both sides in that game. Yeah, definitely. And so I, I fully appreciate that. Um, the reason why I chose the Blues versus the Brumbies is because you had the top New Zealand team essentially, at the end of uh, round one versus a top Australian team at the end of yep. round one going, no, going at shout. it. So it kind of, yeah, it gave us a litmus test of where of where both teams are within the scheme of things um, and came away with some really interesting narratives moving forward into round three. 
Yep, fantastic. So let's do our um, our reactions from that the last two games or day three of Super Round. That first game is the Brumbies and the Blues or the Blues versus the Brumbies. The Blues were technically the home team. And when you kick us off, what were your initial thoughts come post full time? Oh, I was scared. I was I was scared and excited, scared and relieved, afraid as every rugby Australian rugby fan is that the Kiwis were just going to steal it at the death with the length of the field try. And with a backline of like two of us, Ashek, Rico, Ioane, Caleb Clark, Perifeta, like you just, Talea as well, they just have a top class backline that can strike from anywhere across the pitch. And I was incredibly worried that the Brumbies would um, make an error, just be exhausted at the end of the game. Players like Reese Van Neck had played 70 minutes as a prop and that there'd just be some chink or half gap that they'd get through. And the Brumbies were able to hold on. A couple of really crucial turnovers, one on the line by, I think, Reese Van Neck, another one to essentially mm-hmm. seal the game by um, Blake Shoup. And it, it was just so nail-biting, those final minutes, that I just kind of couldn't get over that in the immediate post-match reaction. Yeah, I think my initial reaction is similar to what you were saying. Like we, we were both sitting there expecting that kind of band to break. The the Blues were just waiting for something to happen for Bowden Barrett to pull something out of his pocket and score miraculously, fulfilled or whatever. But the Brumbies didn't actually look like faltering at all. They looked strong. And that was really, uh, I guess, empowering as a, an Australian rugby fan to sit there and see that they didn't panic. They stuck to their structures. They kept making the hits. They contested the breakdown like they had all game. They didn't change their structure at all. And I think that's something in Australian rugby that we haven't seen for a long time, Uh, that when teams get under the pump and they get into those like championship minutes against New Zealand teams, they start to panic and they start to either make silly decisions, coming in the breakdown sideways to try and get their hands on the ball, not releasing when the referee's telling them to, um, just doing, pushing the pass, that sort of thing. And the Brum- this Brumbies team looked composed. They didn't look overall and they hung on and they got the victory. Yep. And especially when you consider that it was done without a couple of key players, like Alan Alatoa came off in something like the seventh or eighth minute of the game with a concussion and he failed his HIA. And then Lenny Ikatao was taken off the field, injured uh, about 50 minutes or so into the game, maybe a little bit later. And Ollie Sapsford ended up playing more minutes than he was probably expecting to and probably wasn't planning to play at 13 either. And so it was just great to see that it was... um. Players who aren't the big names within the Brumbies that were stepping up. And one thing I do want to shout out, Tom Wright at 15 played really well. He had one or he two did. errors throughout the game, which, I mean, he's pretty classic for anyway. And But at the same time, he was taking on a lot of the kicking and playmaking duties as that second playmaker coming in from 15 and doing really well with it. So with both him and Pattaya performing well at the Reds, it's it's showing a bit more hope for our 15 options this year. Yeah, and I think um, one other thing that sort of is really interesting with the Brumbies this year is that decision to to put both Noel Alessio and Nick White on the bench. And mm. you can't falter the performance of either Jack Debrasini or Ryan Lonigan. That they're playing so well and they're showing, they're showing Stephen Larkham and they're showing Australian rugby at the moment that they don't deserve to be dropped. They don't. They're not playing any worse than what Noah or Nick are doing when they come off the bench. And there's no step in quality. I mean, when Nick White came on, 
obviously. He's what, a 75 or 100 cap wallaby. He's got the experience. He's been around the system. He knows how, maybe not 100 cap wallaby, but he got his 100 super cap last week. Um, he just, he he does lift things a little bit and he helps sort of calm the team down and, and ground out those victories. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot of difference between Noah and Jack Debrusini. And um, it's seeming to work really well for the Brumbies at the moment to have that as a as an option, like to manage those guys' minutes because you'd expect when it gets the second half of this season that Noah and Nick will be relied on to play big minutes. Um, and yeah, it's just really interesting to see that Stephen Larkham is still continuing to do that. Yep. Um, Nick White's on 67 international caps, which is pretty cool. I'll just quickly look that up. And yeah, I, I think it just shows, again, that depth that the Brumbies are trying to create across every position. I mean, all teams want that, but it seems like the Brumbies have been able to find that at 10 because having Rod Yonan in that position last year, like he's probably a great guy, um, but just in terms <laughs> of the quality of his play, there was a clear drop-off between Noah and yeah. Rod Yonan. And so the the Brumbies have been able to address that this year by bringing in Jack Debrusini, who seems in good form and has played mm-hmm. well in the two starts that he's had so far this season, plus in the preseason. So it'll it'll be good to watch. Noah's got a fight to get his starting jersey back after the kind of enforced Wallabies layoff, and so hopefully that battle uh, brings the best out of both of them. And so we have even more players uh, pushing their um, hands for international selection, which which is only a good thing for Australian rugby. But in terms of um, the actual game, I just want to quickly say a couple of points about um, the match itself. The Brumbies seem to have a really clear game plan to just absolutely brutalise the Blues' ruck. And we saw that quite significantly against the Waratahs. But it seemed like the Blues, the Blues were just incapable of being able to match that, particularly in the latter parts of the game. I'm not sure if it was inherently a fitness issue or just if their um, bench weren't maybe as rock-focused as they could have been. I think Tom Robinson ended up... Uh, not Tom. Is it Tom? Robertson. Robinson. Robinson, who ended Robinson. up needing to go off for uh, injury at one point. He's a ruck monkey does really well there mm-hmm. um and it was just amazing how many penalties the blues gave away throughout the match 19 penalties throughout the game which is just almost unheard of in terms of the scale of that number but they really at the same were time, willing to give away so many penalties particularly within their own 22 there were so mm-hmm. many times when the, yeah. the brumbies would get down in the opposition 22 and the blues were cynically slowing the ball down intentionally and it was quite, I was surprised at how much they were willing to do that and to slow the ball down. And Paul, Paul Williams, who ref, who was the ref? Paul Williams did this the third game. Anyway. Um, the, was this Ben O'Keefe? No, I don't think it was. Anyway, it was someone, someone ref it. it um, he, he allowed them for the first bit to continue to do that. And then he started to, to give them warnings and then they got cards from it. But, their discipline didn't improve. And I think, and were 20, 25th, maybe 30th minute around then, they gave away those two yellow cards consecutively. And that really let the Brumbies sort of take control of the game and sort of push ahead. The, I'm sorry, I'm just going to fact check you on that. The yellow card that they received was in the sixth minute um, for that. You remember that line out attempt? Um that the, that the Brumbies made and that James Lay kind of like undercut and, and pulled down and got the penalty try for it. That was, oh, 
that was the main yellow card. When did Caleb Clark get his yellow card? Like a few minutes later. He his, oh, his was in the seventh. Yeah, no, that was sixth and seventh minute, man. That was okay. the um, well, sixth and seventh minute of the game. Okay, we'll take away the twenty um, fifth minute, but yeah, the, the sixth <laughs> and seventh minute was still it was pretty heavy, um, getting those two cards and allowed the Brumbies to get that dominance. Yeah, yeah, because I think what it did was it tired the Blues out. So the Brumbies actually ended up losing that ten minute period seven nil. If you remember, um, the yep. the Blues went in for two more attacks. Strangely enough, um, when they got penalties in close, they kicked for the line twice. Um, first one, there was a um, knock-on soon after, but then they did it again and Ricky Riccatelli went over for a try um, to make it 7-10. So during that time period, they yeah, the Blues actually managed that quite well, but I think it must have taken it out of them because they didn't seem to have that kind of edge and flair and attack in the latter parts of the game. They absolutely tore the Highlanders open with last week. Yeah. There's one thing that the uh, trend that's starting to develop in Super Rugby Pacific this year uh, and the Brumbies are leading the way is the breakdown. They're so heavily attacking their breakdown that, uh, like in defense, they're attacking the breakdown of the opposition players and teams that teams start to find themselves in this weird sort of limbo of, do we commit another player or two to the breakdown to secure our own ball, which ends up putting more players into the breakdown to do that, which gives space out wide for the Brumbies to get that overlap. Um, and Teams are taking a lot longer this year to adapt to that. And the Brumbies aren't doing it at every single ruck. They're picking and choosing the right times to do it. The Waratahs spoke about it last year, uh, last week. And now the Blues were also finding it difficult this week. So the way that the Brumbies are highlighting their approach to the breakdown is really um, bringing a lot of heat onto their uh, opposition this year. Yep, fair enough. Well, why don't we move into the second match, mate, which was the Western Force versus the Queensland Reds because you and I both wanted this to be quick and we've already been going for 30 minutes. So we've like doubled the time that we've done without instant reaction pods previously. Um, So moving on to the Force versus the Reds match, this was, like I already mentioned, a complete surprise. I was expecting the Force to be far more competitive. Both you and I had tipped them to win within this game. And look, it was an absolute rampage against the force. And so much of it was their own undoing in terms of unforced errors, turnovers and the like. Ollie Callan's red card in the 60th minute. Um, plus, I think Jackson Pugh got a yellow card in the 70th. So it just meant that by the end of the game, there were two two men down. And it was a really rough night for the force. Yeah, they just like they just went to pieces, really. They... They lost a few players to HIAs and to injury. And then from that point, they like Michael Wells came off for HIA. And from that point, they didn't have their leader on the field. And that's something that he spoke about in the press conference after the game, that he was disappointed that the team weren't able to rally and to sort of come together and, and the leaders, the other leaders in the team step up and sort of steady the ship, that they all kind of went into themselves a bit and started to make those mistakes not communicate to the players around them and that's how the reds were able to just Mm. run rampant really yep 
Yeah, and also when you consider, I mean, you just go through some of the basic stats within this game. Um, it was, what, 10 tries to 3, um, 91% kick success to 50% kick success. Um, the penalties were actually relatively even, but the forced defensive stats, 76% tackle success. They missed 35 tackles, which at this level is just completely unacceptable. Um, so it really just shows how tough the force found it within their defensive structures or even just accuracy of making your one-up tackles to keep the Reds at bay. And I think that a part of the credit just goes for the the Reds obviously wanting to stand up and make a statement based upon what happened last week because maybe I read too much into the defeat against the Hurricanes and the heavy nature of that defeat. I thought they were quite poor in round one. Um, but here they've showed the class and the quality that many of their team do have. And we're actually able to put it into a fairly, like obviously a cohesive team performance, which I didn't think they were going to do. So very well done. And I'm quite happy to be proven wrong if it means an Australian rugby team is playing well. Yeah, this game is a little bit unusual in that it's it's kind of hard to sit here and say that uh, the Queensland Reds won this game because they played so well. It was almost like, the Western force lost this because they played so badly and they, the Reds, no disrespect to them. They did score a lot of good tries, but they weren't really challenged. The Western force were falling off tackles, allowing intercepts, allowing players to make line breaks and just not having the players there to, to run them down or to, to, to fill up, um, to make those tackles. So the, the Reds looked good, but the Western force allowed them and made them look a lot better. They weren't really tested much in this game, the Reds. And as much as you want to say that it was, it put the Reds' season back on track. They still have the, uh, uh, they still need to be tested, I think, moving forward. And it's going to be a big test next week to play um, the Brumbies, and I think that's in Canberra. So it'll be interesting to see how they bounce back. I will say that I think the Reds' team did look a lot better when they had their reserves come on. So when they had Josh Fluke back, um, James O'Connor, and Who's the third one that I'm not? Uh, did Kalani um, Did Jock Campbell get on? Yeah, Jock Campbell played. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So those players yeah, cool. really sort of had a good return from injury. So that was good for them to see as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, a lot needs to also get made of James O'Connor and his confident return back into the game after his uh, after the injury setback that he had at the end of last season. Plus. He's made the decision to grow out his hair again, and it just looks divine. Like he's Samson-esque in the quality of his play. <laughs> so there's a lot to be liking about the return of James O'Connor back into the Reds. Um, yep. Although Tom Liner did well within yep. the 50 or so minutes that he got, mm -hmm. um, I thought that Fraser McWright and the impact that he has across the field is just super impressive. He definitely held up Kiribiji for that try, but it just wasn't, it wasn't clear enough. And if they'd awarded a no try, it would have been a no try, but because it was an on-field try that was given, they kind of yeah. had to award it. But man, I just was impressed by his motor throughout the game. Um, Sully Vunavalu was an interesting one for me. I thought he had some, he had some decent moments. He had probably not enough impact. I'd be expecting for a player of his supposed quality against a poorly performing force team. Um, yep. I, I do just want to comment on his intercept. He is not I fast. 
if Tim Anstey is turning and chasing and catching up to him before the try line as a winger. Like if Tim Anstey can reach him before the try line, then the question, he needs to be kind of working on his kind of speed and aerobic stuff again. Cause obviously he doesn't trust his body. Um, mm. He felt a cramp or something like that tightening up. There's yeah, something going on I mean, the guy pulled up there. lame. Like he, oh. he stopped, he completely stopped and sort of hopped over the line. Like, I can understand, yeah. particularly with the the news that's come out this week around how Dave Rennie sort of mishandled his um, approach to speed and physicality. Like the dude has trauma there. The guy doesn't want to hit full speed. You could see that when he made that break. He was jogging, like he was jogging. He, he, he was wasn't at he full was pacing pace. himself, like striding yeah. out to cover a lot of ground, but not at one hundred percent. Hey, so I still feel like he's not fully one hundred percent fit. But I think it, it was good to see him back and have involvements. He put in some big tackles. Yep. He uh, he got that intercept try. Yes, he didn't run away at a thousand miles an hour, but at the same time, you can't blame the bloke. Like he uh, he's had those niggling injuries come up so frequently in that hamstring that you can't blame him for not going full pelt. Because imagine if we're sitting here saying that he's ripped his hamstring there in that in- instance. Like his contract in rugby would be torn up, wouldn't it? If he Made that break. He's looking great. He's going 100%, and then he rips his hamstring off his bone. Yeah, well, luckily that didn't happen, and genuinely I hope he does continue to grow and improve. It was just concerning to see Anstey nearly run him down, considering he's a loose forward on the turn. Yeah. Um, but that's enough on that point. He's a, he's a freak in himself, isn't he? I thought Anstey actually was one of, the, <laughs> the, one of the players that did play quite well for the force. Let's wrap yep. it up. Yep, fair enough. And... Yep, totally agreed. Well, why don't I just quickly run through the uh, ladder and the standings for where they are within the season. So first place, Chiefs. Second, Hurricanes. Third, Brumbies. Fourth, Blues. Fifth, Waratahs. Sixth, Reds. Seven, Crusaders. Eight, Drua. Nine, Force. Ten, Rebels. Eleven, Moana Pacifica. And twelfth, Highlanders. So Highlanders are yet to get off the... um, to, to get a point they haven't even won a bonus point yet so they're at minus minus 77 in their for and against so that's pretty concerning for them um good to see the brumbies up near the top having won both their games so far they're just behind on bonus points because they haven't got a bonus point in either game yet because of the tightness of the encounters um and our beloved waratahs are currently sitting in fifth equal uh, equal on points with the blues but they just have a better for and against after their opening round match so Yep. Mate, it was an absolute pleasure being down in Melbourne with you. That was a load of fun. And uh, thanks for not getting sick of me. Um, it, it was, was a big it was weekend. Great being there. I, I, it was a big weekend of rugby. It was great. Had a great time, but I'm absolutely shattered now. Back at work and, geez, I, I've, I, we heard some whispers in the press box that some of the stand guys were out till 3 or 4 a.m. on some of the days. And we were just sitting there marveling that they were able to continue and look so pristine in front of the cameras because we got to bed at relatively good times and got sleep ins and still we were wrecked at the end of the weekend. So hats <laughs> off to those blokes, Mate. utter professionals in everything that they do. <laughs> My classes today were absolutely rubbish in comparison <laughs> to what I would normally want them to be. I was lacking in energy and drive. So I don't know how they do it. They've definitely got um, this, the, they're, they're long campaigners. They've done this many times before. So Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to bring us to the end of the pod for this evening. We will have the post-match press conference for the Blues versus Brumbies game, but unfortunately, we weren't able to be there for the Force Well, that's actually already out. Is that correct? That's already out. I put that out uh, this morning or this afternoon just to get it out. So 
Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. So that'll already be out. But either way, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for getting to this part of the pod. It's been a pleasure being with you. Uh, Mitch, thanks for your time. And everybody have a wonderful week. And I'll catch you later. Bye. We'll catch you next week. Bye.